speaking. <coughs> hello, hello. Is it on? A reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus asked, What is the realm of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and tossed in the garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Speaking again, Jesus said, To what should I compare the realm of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And uh, it's a pleasure to be singing Queen with you this morning. Now, I, um, I love this short little passage from Luke. And uh, I think that image of the kingdom as a mustard seed is one of the better known. How many folks are familiar with that? The kingdom is like a mustard seed. All right. How many know about the yeast bit? Fewer people, considerably fewer people. If you don't know either, no worries. We're going to talk in detail about them, and you'll get to know them. But this little pair, the, the mustard seed and the yeast, tell us a lot about what God is doing in the world, and therefore about what we are called to do in the world as followers of Jesus. And what I love about the world of Jesus' metaphors is that they are rich and they are subversive and they carry many, many meanings and layers. So first of all, I want to situate us in the garden. Jesus is talking about planting a mustard seed in a garden. And that garden imagery may bring something up for us that might be a little bit different than what Jesus had in mind. When we think about gardens here, we think about something very contained, right? Sometimes highly curated and controlled. But the garden imagery through the Gospels goes back to the Garden of Eden and ends with the Garden of Life at the very end of the Scriptures. The gardens bookend our stories of God's love. It begins and ends in the garden, and there are gardens throughout. And here, Jesus is bringing back that imagery of the garden. We are in a garden. But he doesn't say, you are in a garden, and you carefully take your seed packet, and you make a little hole. Jesus is basically describing a person's seed bombing, right? Does anybody know about seed bombing? Yeah, more of you know about seed bombing than that weird yeast thing. So, <laughs> But seed bombing, for those who don't know, is when you have like a cluster of seeds and a little ball of earth and nutrients, and you throw that, you scatter that throughout the earth, trusting the earth to take back those pieces of itself and grow it into something beautiful. This is a wild and wonderful thing. It's got like really anarchic energy. It's got this rebellious vibe. And I remember when someone first introduced me to seed bombing, I felt like a total badass. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're going to find every empty lot in Chicago, and we're going to bomb it, but with flowers. <laughs> Probably tells you everything you needed to know about me when I was 21. <laughs> but seed bombing is about making the earth wild again. 
It is about trusting the inherent knowledge of creation. Now, when we grow things, which we are called to do, right? In the very beginning in the garden, God said that we were called to cultivate, to grow things that are nourishing and good. That is part of our memory in our bodies, part of our call as, a, as members of creation to cultivate and to grow things. But the way that we've gone about it is a little bit backwards, is a little bit removed. Now, when you think of conventional farming, and I'm not even talking about animals here, I'm talking about plants, what comes to mind? You can actually shout that out if you want. Corn? Killing? Uh, straight rows? What, what did I miss from Scott? Tilling. Tilling. I heard killing. I'm in pesticides. <laughs> Giant machinery. Sure. A large yields. One plant in one row. Monocropping. All right. Let's look at some pictures. We got pictures. All right. So this is what we typically think of is these long rows of single crops, right? Now, that is conventional farming. But one of the things, and I don't, I'm just going to like be right up front. I'm going to tell you a lot about gardens, but I am not good at growing things. <laughs> no, I just, what's that? I want to be, yes. Not badly enough to truly improve, but I'm good at other things. <laughs> but I really, I feel like I've learned so much about God and about people and about the earth from the wise people in my life who have poured themselves into cultivating the earth in this way. And one of the things that people I really trust have, have gushed about to me is something called permaculture. Now, permaculture is a very different way to approach growing things. It relies on the intuitive knowledge of, of the ecosystem. And it works with the resources of creation. So whereas conventional farming is usually about extraction from the land to the point where we have a pretty big crisis in this country of depleted soil, Permaculture and other sustainable agriculture is, is about saying, like, if you cultivate things in the right ways, if you allow the earth to sort of do its thing with just a little bit of guidance and participation, you should, rather than fighting that earth and extracting everything you can, you should actually be able to set something in motion that you could walk away from that would continue growing something beautiful for hundreds or thousands of years. Permaculture, in contrast to those rows we imagine, looks something more like this. So do you see how there are these like intimate overlapping sections of different kinds of plants? Everything all growing together. There are 12 values in permaculture. We're not going to go through all of them, but there are a handful that really bring up a lot for me in terms of thinking about what it means to care not only for the earth, but for one another. One of the values is use and value diversity. Baseline, more difference is good. We are not meant to be isolated in sameness. Integrate rather than separate sort of iterates on that same idea, right? Bring different things together, not trying to make them the same. 
A, a third builds further on each of these, and it's the one that strikes me most as gospel. Use the edges and value the marginal. Use the edges and value the marginal. Now, someone writing about this um, around where I went to seminary in Evanston talked about how when you think of oceans, the most interesting parts of oceans, the most vibrant, alive parts of oceans are at the edges. You think about the difference between open ocean and tide pools or marshes. The same is true of the forest. The transition points from forest to meadow or from forest to lake or stream, this is where diverse biodiversity and life really thrives. These transition points of overlapping identity. He writes, all exchanges happen at edges. And exchanges lead to an increase in value. The place where two ecosystems or habitats meet is generally more productive and richer in the variety of species present than either habitat on its own. And so permaculture embraces this idea of bringing the edges of things together and says, make more edges. Like literally, instead of making straight rows, make paths that wind and weave. Create the maximum amount of area for different things to come together and produce something new. And then, another important factor, another important principle of permaculture, apply self-regulation and accept feedback. But if the edges are the best part, if the margin is the best part, we are reminded that in the garden of God, we are not trying to create uniform rows of sameness. We are actually trying, rather than bringing everyone to the center, we are trying to pull the center out to the beauty of the margins, where things are different, where overlapping identities of difference produce rich wisdom and knowledge and holiness. And so, though it may be tempting to seek safety and shelter in the sameness of the middle, even for those who have that option, we are called to flee to the margins where the wisdom of God's truth and beauty lies. This is the kingdom. And studying the garden, studying the wisdom of the earth is one of the ways that we study and know God. We can know what love is, by walking through the marshes and finding the wisdom of overlapping truth. We can know who God is by being present to the ways that our manipulations of empire, that mechanism of extraction that we have applied to the earth, the mechanism of homogeneity that we have applied to the earth, is not serving us. That the idea that we can just get more and more and more by becoming uniform and the same is actually depleting the very source of our life. These are the ways that we can learn the love of God by turning not only to our minds, but to the earth that holds and sustains us. And when we turn to the garden, we find out that salvation, this is another way we find out, one of many ways we find out that salvation is not individual. How do you save just one piece of a garden? A garden is an ecosystem. 
Salvation is collective. Salvation means the flourishing of all things. Salvation is solidarity. The kingdom is not whisking you as an individual away into your mansion. The kingdom is a flourishing garden where every distinct species, every individual holy creation is fully protected and is in a position to fully thrive. And this is why we say no one is free until we're all free. Unless you want to be clipped like a conventionally grown tulip in a vase, we need something bigger. We need something more. We need the garden that we come from, the garden that we are promised to rebuild in the end. And so, when we are coming to these metaphors, we have to remember that this is God's vision. And so the setting of the garden is God trying to take us from the conventional farm into a sustainable, overlapping wilderness of joy and creation and flourishing. We need to decolonize our understandings of the earth in order to decolonize our understandings of the kingdom. Now, luckily, colonization has not stripped all that knowledge from us. There are many communities, especially BIPOC communities, who have been able to preserve knowledge of what it means to be in deeper relationship with the earth. And each and every one of our bodies holds the blueprint of that memory as well. That we are not called to dominate, that we are not called to extract, but we were made to be gardeners, to be cultivators, of wild life. Now, one of the friends who has taught me about permaculture was showing me his garden, his permaculture garden he was planting. He was trying to get rid of the, the grass lawn he had inherited when he bought his home and replace it with a permaculture garden he could tend. And he told me of one grave mistake he made at the very beginning. He planted mint. Some of you are chuckling because you know what a mistake that is. Mint, when not contained or uh, brought into some sort of relationship with structure, will take over everything. Mint is considered an invasive species because when mixed with other things, it can, its root structure can just dominate a whole garden and it can take over very quickly. These kinds of invasive species can feel like a real problem. Like, why are they even here? This can't be part of the kingdom. And yet, Jesus chooses an invasive species for his metaphor. Black mustard seed was the mint of the Middle East. It was invasive and considered unclean. It was actually forbidden to plant black mustard seed inside the city because it would take over any of the plans and conventional gardens that had been planted there. Mustard is incredible. And, and the scriptures only say mustard, but we, we surmise black mustard seed because of the way it's described. It's most likely the species that Jesus was talking about. Black mustard seed, when planted, can shoot up several feet in just a few weeks. And it can be this incredibly powerful growing plant. It is also extremely resilient. It can lie dormant for years, especially during drought. But as soon as the rain comes, 
it springs up before any other plants. It's the first to recover, and therefore can just totally dominate the landscape before anything else emerges. And, and just so you know, this is like a real ancient problem. I'm going to quote to you Pliny the Elder, who wrote in 78 AD, the mustard is extremely beneficial for the health. It grows entirely wild, though it can be transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. Jesus is comparing the kingdom to this highly invasive weed that can lie dormant during times of drought forever and ever, and as soon as the rains come, springs forth and takes over and spreads beyond anyone's control. This is the kingdom of God. And it's particularly beautiful when you pair that image the mustard seed lying dormant waiting for the rains with the image of God given to us in Isaiah, the one who waters the wilderness. The kingdom is waiting underground, ready to spread like wildfire. It only needs the waters, but God is the waterer of the wilderness. And it is promised to us that one day we will look outside and see nothing but beautiful black mustards, mustard seed plants growing beyond our ability to contain them. Now, Jesus, with his subversive metaphors, is not only picking something that would be unclean and unwanted and is therefore subversive in that way, he's also making fun of religious leaders when he says it. Another favorite pastime of Jesus's. He's playing off of a, a metaphor that they loved, which was the cedars of Lebanon. The scriptures describe Israel, the people of God, like the cedars of Lebanon, these beautiful, majestic, powerful trees that grow incredibly high. And so the religious leaders love to talk about themselves that way. We, we God's people, we are these majestic, beautiful trees. And the birds come and nest in this towering, towering creation. And Jesus is like, no, no, you think you're fancy. But you know what? The kingdom of God isn't about your tall, fancy, regal imagery. The kingdom of God is a black mustard growing like an unstoppable weed until it covers the whole earth. And that's where the birds make their homes. Not in your tall, ivory tower, fancy tree, but in the weeds with the people. And there's another beautiful play on words here from Jesus. Because when he's talking about where the birds make their home, the realm of the birds was also the realm of God. We don't have any parallels in English, but for those of you here who speak Spanish, you can think about the word cielo, the sky. So you can say that the, the black mustard seed will grow into a place that becomes the home of the birds. It's like saying that we'll become the home of el cielo. It will become the home of God, the heavens itself. The kingdom of God is like a weed that you think nothing of, and yet that is where God reigns. That is where God makes God's home with the birds in the heavens. These subversive metaphors are threaded throughout Jesus' ministry. Jesus isn't trying to make us aspire to be trees of Lebanon, the cedars that are so revered. 
Jesus is over and over inviting us to be things that are considered rejected. The mustard plant that's not even allowed inside, inside the city walls. One of my favorites, the ravens of the air. In Matthew, Jesus talks about God's provision for us. God says, uh, sorry, Jesus says, I'm getting, I'm getting distracted because it's in Matthew and in Luke, and Luke is the ravens. But in Luke, in Luke, Jesus specifies, right? We think of this passage, so it's often translated as the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, which in our context is like, wow, the birds of the air, wonderful, majestic, in the heavens. The lilies of the field, those are fancy plants. Like, lilies are pretty. We do lilies at Easter, except that where Jesus lived, the lilies were a wildflower. They grew uncultivated. And in Luke, he doesn't just say the birds of the air, he says the ravens, which were considered unclean birds, rejected. God says, I take care of the margins first. I take care of the things you don't want to grow. I take care of the birds that you have called unclean. These are my people. And if I care for those, I care for you too. And so I like to think of like, what are the modern metaphors that Jesus would use now? I think that Jesus would talk about contagion. I think that Jesus would talk about spreading across the world in unstoppable ways. I think Jesus would call us to be the bad apples that spoil the bunch. Jesus is being a little bit edgy here. He's, he's digging. He's saying, I am the thing that you don't want because you can't contain it or stop it. Now, the Jewish texts around gardening and cultivating the earth had some incredible wisdom preserved, specifically the Sabbath. This was about letting the earth rest and saying, we will not extract and extract and extract. We will not deplete the soil. And this Jewish wisdom was preserved not only for human beings, but for the earth itself. But there were also laws and rules that had made their way in that were not so permaculture friendly, including the prohibition against mixing things. No two crops in the same field. So Jesus here is pushing boundaries, saying you can't keep your monocropping. You can't keep your homogeneity. You can't keep your clean and unclean because God has made all things clean. All things are in God's good creation because they are good. And so, the mustard seed that you have banished, you didn't even plant it. Someone threw it on the ground, that's all it needs. It has been laying dormant in the drought, that's all it needs is a drop of water. But it is coming, it is coming back, and it will invade these spaces that have been so heavily guarded. Your boundaries will break down. We are querying your gardens and your farms. God works at the margins and the overlap, among the unclean, the weeds, creating more margins, not less. Biodiversity and messiness is the design, not a flaw. There is so much power there. And you know what? You actually can't stop it. Not for all of your plans and all of your neatly laid rows. You can't stop this. Creation will rewild. Creation has a mind, a memory, a mission of its own, set into motion at the beginning of time. God seed-bombed the universe, and it will not be tamed. 
One day the kingdom will overgrow all the designs and boundaries and plans of empire. Creation will rewild. And the garden, cultivated, not commercialized, tended, not tamed, in glorious biodiversity and wisdom, will be our home again. That is what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. Deal with it. And while Jesus is setting up this beautiful metaphor that says, you cannot stop this, you cannot contain this, this is happening. There is a memory the earth holds. It is laying dormant under the drought of empire, but the minute that God's reign reaches the soil, it will crop up and take over. You can't stop it, you can't plan it, you can't plan around it. Then Jesus turns around and says, and yeast. We'll get there. So there is another metaphor, the yeast in the flour. It is also a bad apples metaphor used to reference evil. This was a thing you didn't want to be. He even uses it in the conventional way when talking about the religious leaders, the yeast of the Pharisees, he says. And it's about evil and lies and bad things that just sort of spread like a weed. This is a similar metaphor in a lot of ways, but there are two notable differences between the yeast and the mustard seed. The first is setting, and the second is method. Now, the first setting we had was the garden. And in Jesus' day, patriarchy and misogyny had functioned such that people were bifurcated, that some people, men, were outside working the land, and other people, women, were inside tending to the home. And in the Gospel of Luke, almost every time Jesus uses a metaphor that would have made sense out in men's lives, men's spheres, the garden, shepherds, God, or Jesus pairs that with a metaphor that would have only made sense in the home, finding a lost coin, yeast in the flower. And so this setting is the sphere of women. Jesus is reminding everyone present that all people are included in the work of the kingdom and bringing the kingdom into being. So while some man is seed bombing a field and throwing everything into chaos, there is a woman at home meticulously planning with yeast and flour because the method here is different as well. Baking, another thing I'm not good at, now, some people like myself who are bad at baking will defend themselves saying I'm a great cook because cooking is an art and baking is what? A science. Lots of measuring in baking. Baking is not seed bonding. Baking is methodical. Baking is planned. Baking is recipes experimented on, tweaked, written down, passed along through generations. Baking is planning. Bl baking is meticulous. And Will Gaffney, the author of the uh, Black Feminist Lectionary that we're using this year, she contrasts these two metaphors saying, the mustard seed grows with very little cultivation, while the baker is hands-on, tending, kneading her creation. God is a planner, and we should be too. God is a baker, meticulously measuring, planning, recording, kneading her work. And so this image here shows us the kingdom at work at all of these different levels. That while men are recruited to seed bomb the fields, throwing the realm of men and empire into chaos, women are meticulously planning, measuring, writing recipes for revolution in the home. 
Now, this image is descriptive, not prescriptive. It is not meant to say that only men can be seed-bombing gardeners and only women can be meticulous planning revolutionary bakers. There is a place for all genders, and Jesus shows us two ways that the, the earth reminds us that our bodies bring us back into being as revolutionary gardeners, revolutionary kingdom bakers, bringing the memory of holistic connection, of solidarity and joy and liberation back into being. And maybe we are the chaos bringers, and maybe we are the detailed planners, and maybe we need both. There is a place in kingdom building for visible and invisible work. There is a place for chaos and destruction and a place for meticulous planning, experimentation, and perfection. The kingdom has a mind of its own running through the ground, ready to sprout and take over at a moment's notice. But here we are also measuring, pouring, mixing, planning, playing the most logical and pragmatic role we can to bring it into being. We are called to be many things at once. We are called to be those margins. We are called to exchange with one another our spirits of chaos and seed bombing with our spirits of planning and logistics. The kingdom comes about whether we do it or not, and yet we are still invited at every turn to plan, to cultivate, to exchange, to share, and to disrupt. I'm very excited for next week. Next week is one of my favorite uh, liturgical days of the year. Does anybody know what next week is? Palm Sunday. Now here at Zao, we have, I think accurately, renamed it Protest Sunday. And next week, we are going to see how these things come together on the day that Jesus gathers the people that he has been organizing at the entrance into the city of Jerusalem to, to show down with the empire who has its army as Jesus has the people. And we are going to see the way that chaos, the way that the rocks even crying out with the glory of God, the way that that seed-bombing, uncontainable joy meets with the meticulous planning of revolutionary hope that says we will not just wait for eternity to come into being, we will plan. We will make moves. We will organize. And so I want you this week to let that germinate in you. Search your body. Search your ancestry. Search the wise corners of your world for the memory of what it means to cultivate the earth. The memory of what it means to trust the intuition of creation that is held in your body, that is visible in the trees, that can be felt in the lake, find that and let it inspire you to plan, to organize, to make moves, and know that we are all in that together. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, you are the ultimate organizer, planner, baker, chaos bringer, gardener of joy. God, help us to forget the prescriptions of empire that relegate us to different places that separate us, that diminish us, 
And God, help us to remember the truth of your creation, which brings all our glory into being, knowing that our glory is your glory reflected in us. God, may we, may we be wild. May we cast seed bombs. May we be intelligent. May we be wise, measuring and planning. God, make your kingdom come alive in us and help us to feel connected to that bad apple spirit, the ones who are here to ruin it for the empire, the ones who cannot be stopped, and the ones who will never stop planning. Amen.